You know, in ancient times, when an enemy troop wanted to defeat a city, there were many ways that this could be done. Sometimes they would just launch an all-out attack. They would scale the walls, or they would just bust through the walls, or they'd shoot arrows over it. Another tactic would be that they would lay siege to a city. They would completely surround this city. They would not let anybody go in or anybody come out. So they would kind of cut off the supply lines and then just wait. And over time, this would usually force the enemy into surrender. Now in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7, there is a story such as this. And it's taken place in the city of Samaria. The troops had surrounded the city for so long that it's actually driving the people in this city to the point of starvation. They're doing terrible things in this city. The people are going crazy. And there's four lepers, meaning four people with the disease leprosy. And they're inside the city. And these four are standing at the city gate and they're starving to death. And Scripture says that they get together. And the four of them are having this little conversation, this little meeting, and they're saying, we are going to die if we do nothing. We're going to die if we stay in this city. So let's just walk outside the gates. Let's walk straight to the enemy camp. And let's just surrender. I mean, we can't take this anymore. Maybe they'll receive us and feed us. And then we could live. And if they kill us, well, then we're going to die anyways in this camp or in this city. So they'd just be putting us out of our misery. So they took a shot. I mean, could you imagine these four lepers walking out of the city straight toward the enemy camp? And when they get there, there's no one around. Nobody They look in the first tent. Nobody. They can't believe it. They go to the next tent. Nobody. The next one, nobody. Where was the enemy? Scripture says that the Lord had caused the enemy to hear the sound of chariots and horses and that they thought that a great army was coming to attack them. So they abandoned their camp. They left the tents as it was, and they ran for their lives. I mean, can you imagine these four lepers? They were sure that they were going to die in the city. And then they were pretty sure that they were going to get killed by the enemy. These men were starving to death. And they find this enemy camp, and it's filled with food. It's filled with wine. All this stored goods. There's big screen TVs and Xboxes and even that newest iPhone 5 was there. And no one to harm them. Hold on for just a second here. I'm breaking through with new technology this week. And I thought, what could go wrong if I have an iPad for the first time ever being used here? 
It just flipped me to a different teaching. Just hold on for just a second here. I was so scared something like that was going to happen. Yeah, God's telling me just to go back to the paper. Okay, so these four le- these four lepers are finding all these things. And they did what you and I would do if we was in the exact same situation. They gorged themselves. They were starving. So they ate and they ate and they ate and they drank and drank and they tried on all this clothes that was in there. These these guys were having a great time. But then they get greedy. And they decide that they may need to stockpile all this stuff. So they're grabbing everything and they're hiding it in the rocks and stuff. But while they're doing this, they get convicted. And they stop and they look at each other and they say, wait a minute. There is so much stuff here, but yet all these people are starving in the city. In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, here are the exact words Scripture says they said. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. You see, this Scripture right there is what we're going to be learning about today. Because you see, God did an amazing thing in this story. And the four lepers are currently the only ones that know about it. I mean, no one else realizes what an amazing thing that God has done. Just these four. No one else knows that there's an entirely different way of living than what they're experiencing right now. These four are keeping it to themselves, and this is not right. Well, they realize this or God convicts them of this, either way. And they run back into the city where all these people are starving to death, where they're going crazy and they're doing these horrible things. And they tell the people, you are not going to believe what God has done. He created noises in the night, and all those tents out there are empty. Come on out and join in the good news. So the whole city went out. They plundered all the food and all the drink. The starvation ceased and the city came back to life. It's an amazing story. You should take the time to read that entire story sometimes in 2 Kings because there's so many little stories that take place within this big story. But I just love that little line right there. We are not doing right This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. And I don't know about you, but that scripture right there convicts me. It convicts me. Because I have enjoyed the blessing of God. I have enjoyed the amazing goodness of God. I've enjoyed the favor, and I've enjoyed the grace of God. 
He has answered prayers in my life, and I can feel Him. I mean, I can feel God guiding my life. And I believe without a doubt that at some point down the road, there's a heaven that awaits me. I don't know when, maybe 40 years from now, when I'm 82 and bald, or maybe two hours from now when I'm 42 and bald. But at some point, there is a heaven that is looking forward to my arrival. And wouldn't you agree that that's good news? Heck yes, it's good news. But then there are times when I keep it to myself. You see, I may see a co-worker or a neighbor or a friend or a family member. Someone who's far from God and they're kind of losing their way. And then I watch them slowly self-destruct over time. They just seem to go further and further and further off the path. And then I say to myself, I am not doing right. I mean, if I don't say something, if I don't tell them the good news of what's available to them in a relationship with God, I am not doing right. It's no different than the story in 2 Kings. I mean, have you ever felt that way? That all this good stuff, all this good stuff's available from God, all this amazing stuff, but people are missing it. And we should be the ones telling them about it. I want to bring up again the verse that's kind of been the foundation of everything we've been talking about in this influence series. Now it's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. And it says, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the definition of reconciliation. It's the act of getting two things to be compatible with one. Reuniting, bringing together. So God reconciled us to himself. There's the two things right there. Reuniting, bringing together. And he did this through his son, Jesus Christ. So the ministry of reconciliation is helping people far from God who have lost their way. Take the hand of God through Jesus Christ, and be restored to fullness in Christ. You see, God extended that to us. God entrusted this to us, this ministry of reconciliation. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. God makes His appeal through us, through you and I. We have been authorized to teach and to preach in the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just a few of us. It's not just pastors. It's not just those who always seem to pray pretty well. It's been given to all of us. And you know, we've been talking these last few weeks 
about living in 3D. And we've been saying that when, when you're aware that God has given you the ministry of reconciliation, that you start to see people who are far from God and you really see them. I mean, you really see them. You see them for people that matter, people that matter to God, people who are just a prayer away from being reconciled to God. You see people who are far from God and their flaws and all their misbehaviors. They shouldn't bother you. And it doesn't bother you because you can look past all that external stuff. I mean, you can imagine how they would be if God was in their life. You don't see them as they are. You see them as they are capable of being with Christ. You see them the way God sees them. And because you see them differently, you walk towards friendships with people who are far from God. That was the first D in 3D living. It's you develop friendships. We said you don't shy away. You don't avoid. With people that are far from God, you want to draw closer to them because you can see what they could become if Jesus Christ was in their life. You know, when I first started coming here to the jar, I had no idea how I was going to be viewed. I was a musician. I played in all the bars and all the clubs every weekend. I drank. I smoked. I even chewed along with smoking. And I cussed. So I didn't think that I would fit in very well into a church and I wasn't for sure that I was going to be able to be accepted. Then the craziest thing happened one Saturday night. After just a few months of coming here to the jar, my band, Martial Law, was playing at a, a dive in Hartford City. It was called Debbie's Double Shot. And I'm in the middle of a Van Halen song and I'm jamming. Kind of like dude was doing today on that guitar. So we're in the middle of the song and I look up and I'm playing away and I look up and I see Pastor Chris Bunch and our former worship leader here at the jar, Isaac Pellerin, walking through the front door. You see, Chris knew that in order to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation, to achieve that first D, which is develop friendships, you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. You have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, this story of Chris and Isaac is a great example of stepping out of the comfort zone. I know that they were uncomfortable. I know it. Chris is a young urban professional. That's a yuppie for those of you who don't know where I'm going with this. So he's dressed kind of like this. 
trying to fit into a crowd that looks more like this. The smoke was burning their eyes. The music was painfully loud. There was obnoxious drunk people that wouldn't leave them alone. But they came that night. And it let me know that these guys saw something in me. I mean, they were able to look at me and see what I could be with Christ in my life. They saw me doing things for God way before I ever really started doing things for God. You see, they were looking beyond my many flaws. And that is the ministry of reconciliation. And I'll never forget Isaac, for those of you who remember him. He grew up in a very, very sheltered family. And he ordered jello shots, not realizing that they were packed with a little happy juice. <laughs> he was like, man, I just love jello. But you know, sometimes we are called to step outside the box. We have to meet people where they are. Because that's how you get to the second D in 3D living. And this is what Chris talked about last week. It's discover stories. Discover stories. You know, you learn more about them. You hear about their past. You hear about their struggles, about their hurts. You find out why they're not, be, why they're not reconciled to God. Because you know what? Some people have some pretty good reasons why they're fending off God. You know, I was visiting a young man in the hospital last year. He was 38, gay and dying of AIDS. Man, I was nervous. But I felt God telling me that I was needed. And I stood by his bedside. And he told me that he didn't know if God would accept him because of his lifestyle. He thought that according to Christians, being gay was a sentence to hell. I told him God didn't love me any more than he loved him. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of our sins. Not just some of them. You acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Savior. You ask for forgiveness for your sins, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's cheating on your spouse, whether it's living with someone when you're not married, whether it's lying. You confess and you repent, which means you turn away from that sin. And we prayed, and he died later on in the week. You know, some people just don't understand what Christianity is all about. They think it's this exclusive little club. Jesus says in Mark 2, verse 17, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call those not who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. I mean, we all need Jesus. You can't judge someone because their sin is different than yours. So many people just need to hear this message. And you know what? Sometimes someone may have just had a really bad church experience. Maybe somebody did something wrong to them and that person was a Christian 
and it kind of got them thinking in a different way. You see, there's all kinds of barriers that exist with people. And when you're living in 3D, when you're developing friendships with people, and you're discovering stories, and when you're discovering stories, you start to discover these barriers in people's lives. Proverbs 1 verse 5 says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Once you discover barriers that are keeping someone from being reconciled to Christ, then you're ready for the third D in 3D living. And it's discern next steps. Discern next steps. You discern what steps need to be taken to help reduce or to help remove that barrier. I mean, you identify the obstacle and then maybe you can help people remove it and start taking steps toward being reconciled to God. You know, something you might not have thought about very much is that there are actually steps in helping people be reconciled to God that don't always involve sharing the plan of salvation with them. At least not at first. I have conversations with people all the time that are just not open yet to hearing the good news of Christ. I mean, I know that they're not willing to sit down and listen to that bridge illustration yet that Chris talked about last week. I know that they're not there yet. But as I discern next steps, I realize that maybe I need to try and get them to clear their mind a little bit. And that sometimes may mean sobriety. Or whatever addiction or hurt is maybe causing them to think like they are. So my next step there would be inviting them to celebrate recovery. Because that celebrate recovery they can start working on that barrier. Start reducing that barrier. Start getting, then get them to take steps to reconcile to God. You know, if someone has just lost a loved one, and this person is filled with so much grief that for me to pull out a napkin and to draw some plan of salvation on it would be a little bit premature for that person. So I point that person to grief share. Because that's what they really need the most. They need to grieve. They need to recover. And maybe through that grieving process, they can be reconciled to God. There's some people who have intellectual barriers in front of them. There's people in here that's been like that. You've got to give them books to read because they need data to absorb. This is, ends up being the next step for them. There's other people that's been hurt by Christ's followers. I mentioned that earlier. What I do in those situations is I try to draw them as close as I can into quality Christian community, especially the small groups that we have here. So that every time that they're fellowshipping, 
every single time that they're being loved on, they start to heal up a little bit. And then through this healing, they can be reconciled to God. You see, everyone is different. Everyone's barriers are different, which means that everyone's next steps would also be different. Speaking of the small groups, this card was given to everybody in their bulletins when they walked in. You'll pull that out. Friends, if you are not in a small group, you are so missing out on community in this church. You're missing out on fellowship. You're missing out on amazing ways to grow and amazing ways to heal or to be used to help other people do the same. So I asked if you're not in a small group, just take your pen and fill this out right now. It'll only take you a second. Fill it out. Answer the questions. Then just drop it under your seat. Just drop it under there. Kick it away and somebody will pick it up after the celebration. It's too important not to. Now a few things to remember in this whole 3D living. And we've been hitting the same points, these two points, for the last few teachings because these are so important. But you need to pray for open doors. You need to be praying for open doors. That's so important. Chris used this scripture last week. It's Colossians 4, verses 3 through 4. And it says, Pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly. I mean, this is how every day you get up and you say, God, use me today. I want you to use me. I'm available to be used. Open a door so that I can have a conversation with someone that could lead to reconciliation. Or if you have someone specific in mind, and you know that you're going to meet with that person. You say, God, may today be that day where there's a crack in the door. Let that door open a little bit. Let me have a conversation with this person that could lead to the reconciliation. You've been told if you've been praying for open doors and you get one, you need to test the door. You have to test that door. you maybe ask some probing questions to see if maybe they are willing to talk about spiritual matters. So you test the door, but you respect that door. Romans 8 verse 25 says, But if we hope for what is still unseen by us, we wait for it with patience and composure. You know, my dad was in Lutheran Hospital in Fort Wayne like six months ago, six or eight months ago. And as I was driving there, I was just praying for an open door. I was praying as I was driving. You see, I've never been able to talk to my dad 
or my mom for that matter about anything spiritual. You know, for some reason, sometimes family is that thing that's the, the comfort zone where it's hard to step out and, and talk to them about it. I've invited my parents many times here to the jar, especially times where, where I would be teaching and they just have never been open to coming in and, and walking in the church. So I visit Dad and we chit-chat about all kinds of things. We're watching TV, just kind of hanging out a little bit. And all of a sudden he mentions that a pastor came into his room earlier and asked him if he needed prayer for anything. He had refused any prayer, but that, uh, that kind of opened up a little door that I decided I was going to take. And I just said to him, I said, Dad, I said, I don't even know if you believe in God. I don't even know what your beliefs are. What are they? We had a very, very short discussion. And he admitted that he believed in God. And that was it. Then he kind of slammed the door. Changed the subject. So, so, so I kind of tested that door a little bit. And it was closed. And I realized that it wasn't going to happen that day. I knew that. So we talked about the government. We talked about the economy. We talked about the grandkids. We just kind of watched TV together. Seems like our relationship was kind of deep in that day. But there was no spiritual progress that was made. Another time I was talking with a gentleman that I was working with. Started talking about church. Started talking about what God was doing in my life. And I could see this door just opening and opening. It was one of them conversations that you always hope for and you always pray for. I walked him through the Lord's Prayer right in the parking lot. I mean, it was the darndest thing. Now you may find this strange, but driving away from both of those meetings the one with my dad where the door was closed and the one with this gentleman named Brian where it was open. I felt equally good before God. For both conversations, I felt equally good before God. You see, too many times we get stuck in this whole frame of mind that thinks if we're trying to help someone be reconciled to God and it doesn't happen, then we failed. And if you're trying to reconcile someone to God and they actually went the whole route and they received Christ, man, you just hit a grand slam. But there's never no middle ground in anything. So every time that you may have had a less than full reconciliation experience with someone, you felt kind of deeply like, oh man, I failed. And you fell a couple dozen times, you kind of start losing your motivation to even try again. I mean, what is it that stops us at a certain point of trying to have conversations with people to help find God? I mean, you can just have so many conversations that don't result in a reconciliation and you just might think, you know, I'm just not any good at this. I can't ever seem to do this. What I want to happen never, ever happens. I 
So I'm going to give you a new definition of success when it comes to the reconciliation process. If you saw someone and you really saw them, that was a success. If you listened to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and you responded and you took the conversation as far as it needed to go that night, that was a success. You didn't push any further than what you should have, but you didn't back away either. You played the role. You did as much as you could do. That is success. And I think about it this way. Because most people really start at like a negative 10 in their route to becoming a Christian. And when you get down to negative 1, you kind of cross the line and you receive Christ. But you see, those who start at negative 10 have to be moved to negative 8. And then they have to be moved to negative 6 and to negative 4 and to negative 2 before they can cross that line. And I firmly believe that almost every time you have a loving conversation with someone that's far from God, every time you show up with joy and you see people and you extend a hand and you say a word for God in your way with your personality, just the way you are, even if it doesn't end in a full reconciliation, sometimes it just takes someone from a negative ten to a negative eight. And that's all that God wanted you to do. That's all He wanted done that day. And then two weeks later, someone else runs into that person, takes them from a negative eight to a negative six. Someone else a month later may get him to a negative four. Then pretty soon, someone takes them across that line. You know what? It doesn't always have to be you. It doesn't always have to be you that does that. And when you get comfortable with the idea that a lot of times God just wants you to be a melter, your job is to just melt somebody from like a negative eight to a negative six. And then you trust that someone else is going to be the closer. Here's a Rodas Chapman. This guy is a closer for the Cincinnati Reds. He throws 103 mile per hour fastballs. He's amazing. He's got the fastest pitch ever recorded in the major leagues. He comes in in the last inning. He gets all the glory. But for him to be in that position, there had to be some pretty good pitching going on in the other eight innings. And that's how this works. The same way. You know, I had a neighbor. His name was Daryl. He was my neighbor way before I ever started coming to church. We used to hang out all the time, do yard work together, just chit-chat constantly. And as my life started to change, 
I would share with them things that I felt that God was doing. Things that I was believing now. I was never too strong. I just tiptoed into the conversations. But I always took whatever openings that I was given. And I prayed that one day that I could be the one to lead my friend to Christ. This went on for quite a number of years. And then my friend got sick. He got sick and his health deteriorated very, very quick. And I got a call one night that said I needed to come visit with him because he was getting ready to pass. And I drove to the nursing home where they had him. It was the nursing home on Morrison Road. And man, as I was going, I just prayed for an opening. As I was driving there, I was saying, God, give me an opening. God, let today be the day. I know time is running out. Let me do this today. And as I walked into his room, he was incoherent. He was asleep. He couldn't even acknowledge that I was there. Man, I stood over him. And I was praying for him to wake up. I said, God, he needs to hear this. God, let me tell him the good news of Jesus Christ. I had to pray with him. I had to make sure that salvation was his. But he wouldn't come too. stood there and I stood there and I left and I thought I'm going to come back tomorrow however long this takes I'm going to come back and I got a call the next morning at 7 a.m. that he had died and I just held on to the phone and I felt horrible and I felt like such a failure I felt like a coward. I felt like I let the entire kingdom of heaven down. And I sat at the funeral later on in the week. And a young lady stood up. She was a nurse that worked at the nursing home. And she told me a story of how she led him to Christ just days before he passed. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. It's unbelievable. All the work I did, that was as far as God wanted me to do. And then this nurse shows up. After all, I'd invested in it. This nurse shows up. She didn't know what all I put into this. She just loved on my friend and she discerned that she was at a point to be able to finish showing him the way. when you're interacting with people whether it's family whether it's friends God is using you to move people 
Success is listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and only doing the part of the reconciliation process that God wants you to do that particular day. You don't have to do the whole thing. Sometimes you're just going to be a melter. You're going to melt somebody from here to here. Sometimes others have gotten them to a point. And then maybe you are called to get them across that line. And when that happens, praise God for it. Friends, you don't have to do the work of reconciliation all by yourself. This is a ministry. You do part of it. Others do part of it. We do part of it. You say, you know, there's this church. I would love for you to come. It's no matter what color you are or how much money you got or what your age is, you're going to be accepted in this place. And we do this together. Man, one of the reasons I get so excited and I get so fired up about the future of this church is because I hear so many people in here talking about their faith. People's praying for open doors and they're pushing on them doors, but they're respecting the doors. You're stepping out of your comfort zones. That's the whole reason we have two services now. The people you're reaching out to are coming. watching God move. He's moving through your efforts. He's moving mountains. He's smashing obstacles and breaking down barriers. Man, lives are changing because of the risks that you're taking. And because you have chosen to walk across a room, someone else will enter kingdom of heaven. Let's stand for closing prayer. Can I get the prayer team to come forward? If there's anybody that needs prayer or anybody ready to cross that line, let's pray. Dear powerful God, we just uh, we just thank you for calling us into this ministry of reconciliation. God, give us the courage to be able to step up. Whether we're in the hallways of our high schools or we're walking the campus of Ball State. God, whatever job we're in, neighborhoods we live in, or God, even in the confines of our own homes with our own families, allow us to be ambassadors for you. Let our eyes see people the way you see them. And let our hearts love people the way you love them. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Know you're always loved in this place. See you next week. Hey, if anybody's willing to help tear down, we always need it every Sunday. So if you're willing to, please stick around.
Now you're on your knees 